All right, Romans chapter number six, if you will. Romans chapter number six. We're going to go back and continue looking at this issue of what is this thing called grace. And uh, this is kind of part two of a however many parts we make it into. But uh, we're going to go back here in Romans 6 and uh, just kind of dig into this a little deeper. Uh, last week when we introduced this issue about what is this thing called grace, we talked about justification and so forth, and we kind of got into Romans 6 and then kind of ran out of time, and I want to go back and look at this. If you look here at Romans 6 verse 1, what shall we say then? You, you, you see that question? That question comes out of the conclusion of uh, Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. And in Romans chapter 1 through 5, Paul lays out that fundamental, that fundamental block called justification in the believer and what has happened and why you need, here's the condition of humanity, why you need to be justified, here's the provision for it, here's the answer, Calvary, faith and faith alone in Calvary, that's chapter 4, the issue of faith. And then in chapter 5, here you are justified and eternally secure. And you'll never lose it. You'll never have a repercussion of it ever leaving you. You are declared righteous. And that's that issue of justification. But then in chapter 5, he starts in verse 15. For not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace which is by one man, Jesus Christ, has abound unto many. And he begins to draw a comparison between Christ and Adam, the first man and the last man, the first Adam and the second Adam. And that issue of now what, the, what is on order today is the free gift. See that in verse 15? Much more the grace of God and the gift by grace. The beginning of that verse also is the free gift. And he begins to draw this parallel down through and he brings then in verse 20 chapter 5 verse 20 moreover the law entered that the offense might abound why did the law show up why did God give Moses the law Exodus 19 Exodus 20 why? because the offense was there they were being offensive and they needed to understand how to identify it and how to know what, the, what their, their transgressions were all about and why, what was happening and why things were happening. Then he goes on to say, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And you think about that. Well, then if, what's the natural thing then? Well, if sin abounds, then grace much more abounds, then I can just, I should just keep sinning, and then grace just keeps getting bigger. And that's, and by the way, it does do that. But that's the improper way of thinking. That's the improper way of coming to the conclusions here of how I ought to be thinking. Here's my standing, who I am in Christ. Bam. And now my state, my lifestyle needs to match that. We were looking at that last hour in 1 Corinthians as we're introducing that book that that is the problem at Corinth. The problem at Corinth is, is that they are sanctified, they are saints, they are they have this positional truth and yet they're living like carnal carnal uh, unbelievers. They are believers but they're living, so these don't match, so we got to get them to match. And where that begins to start is here in Romans 6. By the way, verse 21, that a sin hath reigned unto death. See that issue of reigning? Well, what have we learned in Romans 1, 2, and 3? That everybody's a sinner. 
And what's controlling everybody? Sin's the controlling factor, period. It isn't your mother. It isn't your grandmother. It isn't your dad. It isn't your great-granddad. It isn't, it's called sin. That's the, that's the reigning. That's the control. And what does it reign unto? What does it lead you to? What does it tell you to go? To death. Now, you've got physical death. You've got spiritual death. You've got functional death. You, there's a couple more. And here we're talking about not physical death, but spiritual death, functional death. Not functioning, even so might grace reign. Now, where, how is grace going to reign? You see, the law entered that the offense might abound, but now grace, that free gift, is going to come in. And how does it reign? It reigns through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And there now you have righteousness. Now you have God's righteousness. Now you can have eternal life because the justice of God, think about God and his character and and his essence and in his nature of who he is. He, He is a holy God. He's a righteous God. And his holiness is made up of really two things his righteousness, and then his justice, and the integrity of God, the holiness of God, those two items. Here's the righteousness. Here's the perfection. Here's what the demand. Here is having perfect righteousness, what it looks like. The justice of God comes in and protects that by showing and saying, you don't have it. You have it. You don't have it. You have it. You don't have it. And what he does is, is, is then the justice can't Give eternal life if you don't have what? God's righteousness. Well, how do I get that? Romans 4, verse 5. Look back there. Romans 4, verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him, that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for what? For righteousness. So how do I get righteousness? How do I obtain How do I have God's righteousness imputed to me, put on my account, draped over me? I have it by faith in him who died for and justified the ungodly. Now, Romans 6.1, what shall we say then? Natural question. All right, preacher, you're telling us that we can go out here and live any way we want to live because we're under God's grace. What does Paul say? God forbid. How shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? See, that's the issue. I want grace to keep abounding and getting bigger and bigger, so what am I going to go do? I'm going to go live in sin. Do you see some, there's a, that's an odd thing, isn't it? But people say this. People think this. You hear it. Oh, you grace believers, you, you have, first of all, you, you, believe, you have easy believism. You believe that just be, simply that Christ died for your sins. And don't you know, you got to play your part in that. you got to do your work. To, and it's like, no, that just kills Calvary, makes it of none effect, 1 Corinthians 1 says. See, or they'll say, oh, you're just going to tell everybody to go live any way they want to live. God forbid, verse 2, the divine protest If you think that you can now go and live any way you want to live, then you don't truly understand what Calvary was really all about and what was accomplished there. Because when he, how many sins did it take Adam to get kicked out of the garden? Just one. And that wasn't a big bad sin. It wasn't murder. It it just disobedience. (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty bad. He got kicked out. But it wasn't one of the big ones that we always think about, see. 
So what's happening is, is if you say that I can just go live any way I want to, then you're not quite understanding what happened at Calvary. So Paul's going to, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now he's going to lay in that doctrinal foundation of our identity, our sanctification, we call it sometimes, uh, who we are in Christ. And he does it with that great question. You ought to notice why and how Paul uses questions through his epistles. He uses them more, mostly to cause you to stop and think. Let's think about this. He's not questioning whether you're dead to sin you know, or, or, or living any. He's not questioning. He's like, all right, let's think about this. You think that you can go and live any way you want to go live, and grace will just get much bigger. And by the way, it does do that. It's God's grace. But that's the improper way to think. How then should I be thinking? How shall we that are dead to sin? Now, that's the very first time we learn that we're dead to sin is right there. He hasn't covered it in Romans 1 to 5. In Romans 1 to 5, he says you're a sinner, you're ungodly, you're guilty, you deserve hell and the lake of fire and eternal damnation. That's what you deserve. But the son paid the penalty, paid the price. God the Father says, you come and believe what my son did, and I will give you my righteousness, and that will take care of all of that ugly stuff that you were. I'll take care of, I will sanctify you, I will wash you, I'll clean you, I'll clean you up, I'll purify you, I'll do all of that, and then you're mine. And now you want to go live any way you were living before? You know? What are you, an idiot? Sorry. What are you, naive? Don't you know? See, there's a, there's a prompt here, verse 3. Know ye not. You see, coming out of being justified and having eternal life, now the issue, the, the, the issue now is, okay, here's who I am. By the way, you, I hope you understand God hates sin. He hates it. He doesn't want to see you live in it. He hates it. And now Paul's going to begin to educate us. And he's going to begin to come in and he's going to begin to work into our foundation of our understanding of what this thing called grace is and that issue of this total victory over sin. And the very fact that God has totally equipped you with the ability to identify what the sins are that are in your life and to deal with them successfully. And you're going to deal with them successfully in who you are in Christ. Not in the energy of your own flesh. Because you know what happens when you're in the energy of your own flesh? It's called frustration. It's called defeat. Because you're trying to gin something up rather than, know ye not. Here's who I am. I'm going to take these verses, 1 Thessalonians 2.13. You take the Word of God and it effectually worketh in you that believe. These verses is who I am. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to believe these verses. I'm going to obey these verses. And when I am frustrated, I'm going to go back right here. And when I'm here, I'm going to go back. Come over to Titus 2. I'm going to go right back over here. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter number 2. I did give you that. Yes, I did. Okay. Titus 2. And literally what's going to happen here is when we talk about what is this thing called grace, we begin to see that it's everything. It's not just the key little word, the grace of God. 
you know, peace and mercy, peace and grace and peace, none of that. It's something very dynamic that's going to happen in the, in the believer's life. Look here at Titus 2, look, starting at verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Isn't that interesting? The grace of God hath appeared. That's Calvary. That's, our, that's chapters 1 to 5 of Romans, where we're understanding our sinners and we're understanding our, where our justification lies. Then he says, teaching us. So the grace of God hath appeared, that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Now the grace of God is going to teach us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. No, see what the grace of God is teaching us to do, teaching us to accomplish. One, it's going to accomplish our justification, our setting apart, our being declared righteous. And then it's going to come over here, and it's going to accomplish some things in our life, in our walk, in our attitudes. Sometimes you ought to, think, you ought to take Galatians 5 and the list of the works of the flesh, and then go over there and then run over to Colossians chapter uh, 3, I think it is. <laughs> where now then he introduces the attitude sins. And he says, you put off all that physical stuff, now let's put off all the attitude stuff inside of you, the wrath, the anger, the clamor, the, the enmity, the evil speaking. Get rid of that nonsense. It's not what becomes a saint. You shouldn't have that. Get rid of it. Well, how do I do it? I come over here and I rest in that identity that I am and have in Christ. By the way, think about what he just told us in verse 12, denying. Do you know what it is to deny something? To stop. To stop it. So if you want to stop sinning in your life, stop. It's that simple. Now, I understand sometimes it's hard to do. I get it. You get the itch and you boom. But it's just that. Stop. Again, what did Adam and Eve do? They just went over and ate of that little grape on the fruit on the vine there, and that all they had to do was stop. It's very fascinating that man didn't do that, did they? Gobbled it up and went on and then shift the blame. The woman made me do it. The, the devil made me do it. And God says, I don't care who did it. You disobeyed my word, and boom. Cross. You know what stops sin in your life? Calvary does. It justified you, and it'll clean up your walk, your life as well. Ungodliness and worldly lust. Now watch. We should live soberly. Do you know? Soberly. Clear thinking. Clear-headed. Proper thinking process, processes. By the way, soberly, righteously, and godly, those three issues are the three makeups of every one of Paul's epistles you will find the sober thinking, you'll find the righteous, the life of righteousness, and you'll find the godly, the behavior, the mannerisms that we're supposed to have. There sits the three parts of, the, of godly edification. Here's the template for you and I. The template is set. What's he going to do? He's going to come in and let's adjust our thinking to proper thinking. That, let that then impact our life, and we're going to have a lifestyle of righteousness. And that'll then go back to Romans 6, and that'll help then with our behavior. So then we have godly behavior, proper behavior. 
By the way, this does not produce in you a holier-than-thou attitude. If it does, then pride's got in there, and you got a bigger problem than just trying to fix something silly over here. And you got to work with that issue on pride. You want to start have, uh, causes the contentions in life? It starts with pride. Pride's that, that initial thing there. And you know what pride says? i got to have it my way. I don't care about you and what you think or what you're saying. i got to do it my way. And pride wells up, and all, the next thing you know, you've lost. And you're going, what happened? Well, you got on that little slippery slope, and you went down it <laughs> real quick. Come back to Romans 6. Hopefully you're there. Verse 3. Know ye not. I love that. Know ye, you ought to know this. How many of you know the pen to your debit card? Okay, what is it? No, just that, you know that stuff forward and backwards, don't you? Do you know this the same way? That's what he's talking. Know ye not. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. The baptism here, the identification. You and I are not water baptized. This is a dry baptism. This is a spiritual baptism. This is 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. That helps you understand that baptism in the Bible means identification. To be identified, to be manifest as belonging to this whatever the this is, the group. And he says, hey, you what you need to remember? When you trusted Christ, when he hung at Calvary, he died your second death, he, he, you were buried with him, he took those sins and he buried them, he put them away from you, he took them away from you, and then he gave you a life to go live, a newness of life. He took that old life and killed it, buried it like the dead dog it is, and then turned around and gave you a life. You remember in 2 Corinthians 5 when he says, all that, all, uh, we, we believe that he died because all were dead, so that they which live, how do you get a dead man to live? You give him a new life, and that's what Christ has done for you. There's your identity. He says, you know what? It's not enough that I justified you, and I crucified that old man, and I, but I gave you my life. Verse 5, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, and have we? Yes. Then we, will, then we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, uh-oh, more to know, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be what? Destroyed. Destroyed means what? Destroyed. Doesn't mean hanging out there waiting for you to come over and tap it and say, okay, you're in. No, it's gone. It's not there. Linda and I had pizza last night. I broke my diet for one evening. You know what we did to that pizza? We destroyed it. <laughs> I mean, we destroyed it. She looked at me. I looked, I went, we went over to Ricky's house and fed his cat and kicked the dog. He doesn't have a dog, but anyway, we fed the cat and stuff, and she goes, I'm hungry, and I said, well, what do you want? She goes, I want pizza. I'm like, okay, pizza it is. <laughs> she didn't say it quite like that, but you know what, you know, she's hungry, and you know, we, we took it home, and she's there, there's one pizza left. You want it? I go, no, I'm done. 
And she goes, well, I don't want it either. And I'm like, well, we, we put a hole in that. We put a destroy. It's gone. Verse 6, our old man is crucified with him. Why? What's, what's that? The purpose, the intent, the body of sin might destroy, that henceforth we should not serve sin. That, these are the facts. The first 10 verses here are facts. You can't debate this away. You can't argue this away. This is the facts, Jack. This is what it is. This is who you are. Well, Rick, I'm not struggling with sin. Hang on. We're going to nail you here in a minute. I'm not sure. What's going on with that old, man, uh, that old identity? It's washed. It's, clean. it's destroyed. It's gone. He's given you a new identity. Verse 7, for he that is dead is freed from sin. By the way, I always point that D out. Freed. Past tense. It was done. The moment you trusted Christ as your personal Savior. It wasn't. He accomplished it on the cross. It's unto everybody. But it's upon only who? Them that believe. See? The moment you trusted Christ, guess what happened to you? You had a radical change happen in your inner man. You don't feel it. So if you're looking for the goosey goose to go up and down your back, and woo, the Holy Spirit moved. No, he didn't. Do, he doesn't work that way. See? He comes in, he circumcises you, he regenerates you, he indwells you, he baptizes you, he identifies you with the body, and then he seals you. Colossians calls it the operation of God. You didn't feel it. It happened to you the way you know it as you get in the book and study. Here's what happened to me. And you know what he did? He gave me, he took my death, he took my second death, Revelation calls it, and he gave me his life. And he set me free from the bondage of the lust of the flesh, verse 8. Now, now watch the application. Now, if we be dead with Christ, are we dead with Christ? Yes. We believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. Is he, is, does death have dominion over him? No. By the way, does death have dominion over you? No. Will you, if the Lord tarries, will you one day die? Yes. It's appointed unto man once to die, then the judgment. Okay. But you don't have, death is not your, your foe. It's not your enemy. Why? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Helps to breathe every now and then. <gasps> okay. Verse 10. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto who? God. That's God the Father. That's the facts. What's the facts? The facts is, is the moment I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, the moment you did that, he came in and he blesses me, he sanctifies me, he gives me a life that I can now go live. Verse 11. Here's the application to you and I. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves. Reckon, accounting term. Let's go look at the accounts. Let's balance the sheet out here, the account balance. Let's do the checkbook. You guys don't balance checkbooks anymore. Some of you might, but you should. We just trust the Internet to do it, make sure, you know. You balance out. What do you got? You got, you got credits and debits, and you, and you work them down, and you make sure everything's balanced. 
What am I going to do? I'm going to likewise, I'm going to balance this out now in my thinking. To be what? Dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. What's the condition here? What's my status now? I'm a dead man walking, aren't I? I'm a dead man, but I have what? The life of Christ. So now I'm alive unto God the Father, aren't I? Through who? The Son. But I'm alive. And in Romans 12, Paul's going to bring in that doctrine of living sacrifices. How can you be a dead man and then be a living sacrifice? Because the life you have is the life of Christ. And you go live that. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it with the lust thereof. Neither yield you your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. I love that yielding. We don't yield very much. You know what you do when you see the yield sign? You hit it faster. Boom, right? No, yield, turn, give way, get out of the way. Let this identity get in there and begin to work. Here you are as a believer, and you're alive to this new radical change that has happened within you, to this transformation of life in Christ Jesus. And we are to begin to live consistent with who we are in Christ. I was talking to some folks, and we were talking about this passage, and it hit me, the idea of changing into a uniform, all right? Now think about this. Here you are over here in your old life. You got your old uniform on, okay? You're a Chicago Bear, all right? You get traded to the Arizona Cardinals. By the way, the trade is life in Christ here in the middle, Calvary. Do you still wear the Chicago Bear uniform or do you put on the Arizona Cardinal? You're now wearing the Arizona Cardinal. Okay, what do you do? You took off your old sin nature, Calvary, and you put on the new. Think about going into the military. You're standing in the, the recruiter's office, signing your life away for the moment. What does the guy hand you when you go to report for boot camp? A uniform, haircut, teeth checked, booster shot, whatever. I don't know if they do that anymore or not. You go through, and then you come out, and you got on this green skivvy things that don't fit because they're just, boom, we are just got to get you through boot. What did you do? You changed, didn't you? You were here, and now because of Calvary, you're here. That's what Paul's doing here. And, and I know people use the caterpillar and the butterfly and all that, and I'm, a, I'm trying to stay away from some of that. But the thing of it is, is that's what, and you know what you do? Now you're over here. Now you're in boot camp. And what do you begin to learn in boot camp? There's a reason why they take 18-year-olds. They tear everything down that mom and dad put in them, and then they make them do it the way they want it done. Military, you know, the military, they tell you, you're going to make your bed this way now. Well, my mom did it. You, you, I ain't your mama, and this is how you're doing it. Okay? You, that's the idea here. So what are we going to learn here? This is who we are now. We're in this new uniform. We're, we're on a new team. We're not playing for the old team. We're letting all that go. Well, I still have acquaintance. I, 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 was, I read a memoir, or uh, not a memoir, uh, something about Walter Payton when he was playing and sweetness, and he's actually the only uniform I ever 
jersey I ever owned with the, his name on my back. I never liked, I don't promote the guys, I, you know, at the time. But, uh, and, and he, did, he said he had friends on every team in the league. He had acquaintances, and he, he goes, but when Sunday came, they were my enemy. You have acquaintances in your old life. There are things you like to do. But on the new team, what are they? They're enemies. Got to cut them out. Got to cut them off. Yeah, but Rick, man, I just, there's just really nothing wrong. Yeah, but that's not who you are any longer. You see, what are we going to do? Verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Why won't sin run your life? Why won't sin? Why does sin have to run your life? Why does sin? Well, how can I keep sin at bay? For ye are not under the law, but under what? Grace. Now, what did the law do? We've already learned back up in chapter 5. When the law entered, the offense did what? It abounded. It got bigger. Why? Because what does the law say? Guilty, guilty, guilty. You know that the law never produced a, a, an absolute remedy for Israel's sin? It was always temporal stuff, temporary. Got to do this every year, not once for all, every year. The law never produced a, a, an absolute remedy. And by the way, Romans 7, you know what Romans 7 says? Well, come on over there. Well, actually, let's finish verse 14 and 15. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law. So you're not under the reign of the law, but you're under what? The reign of grace. You're under the reign of this new identity that he just walked you through in verses 1 to 13. What then? Notice the question. Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? And that's the very next thing that comes up, isn't it? Well, because you put me under the law, then I'm going to go out here and sin. You're an idiot. What's the answer, by the way? God forbid. That, you're not thinking straight. You got a stinking thinking problem here. We're going we're gonna to flesh that out. Come on over to Romans 7. Romans 7. Just jumping in here, verse 4, quickly. Romans 7, verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. Boy, what's my relationship to the law? Dead. How many dead men do you see get up and walk around and have control over your life? I know there's some of us that we let our dead family members run our life and dictate. Well, Grandma always did this. Well, Grandma's dead. Grandpa's dead. Great-grandma, great-grandma, you, whatever, aunt and uncle. They're dead. They're, they don't have no control. Who has the control? You do. Verse 5, for when we were in the flesh... The motions of sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve, now watch, in the newness and not in the oldness. Isn't that interesting? You see, we're to, we're to walk in verse 6 when it comes to the law. What's the reigning factor What's the reigning principles in our life? It isn't the law. It's what? It's grace. It's God's grace. And what does God's grace tell me? Romans 6, 1 to 13, I got this new identity. I'm a dead man that's got life and life in Christ Jesus right here, and I can go live that way. 
By the way, come back up into chapter 6 there, right up the page, verse 17. I'm sorry, verse 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey. Turn yourself over here. His servants ye are to whom ye obey. Now watch the result of that. Whether of sin unto what? Death. Or of obedience unto righteousness. You know what? you got a choice in the matter. That's what Paul's saying. This isn't a, this isn't a fixed issue. This issue is, is you got a choice here. I can choose to live in my sins of what I enjoy and that old team connection. And you know what the result's going to be? Death. Frustration, anguish, anger. Or, I thought of some other things, but or I can come over here and live as who I am in Christ. I'm going to struggle with that guy, but I'm going to live as who I am in Christ. And I'll have, I'll have life. I'll have righteousness. Verse 17, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of... You see that ye were? But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Verse 20, for when ye were the servants of sins, ye were free from righteousness. Verse 22, but now being made free from sin and become servants to God... Ye have your fruit unto holiness and to the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through, Christ, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that eternal life there is not your eternal life unto salvation in heaven. That issue is an eternal life right now, right here in time, as you begin to struggle to live life and to go down through it. The context of 623 isn't your justification. The context of 623 is your walk and who I am in Christ. I know we use it in salvation of the gospel, and that's fine because it says what it is. But when you look at the context, where are we? We're dead to sin in Romans 6. and chapter 7, we're dead to the law. The law doesn't, isn't the primary factor. All that the law does, and we don't have the time, but you go back to Exodus 19, and you go back there to Deuteronomy 4 and Deuteronomy 6, and he says, keep the law or else you're going to lose the blessings. See, that law worked by fear, the motivation of fear, and the motivation for these guys was, for Israel, was they're going to lose lose their, their status as God's people. They're going to lose their land. They're going to lose. So they keep it. Fear of losing. You don't, I don't lose anything. The moment we're justified, the moment we say, he's my savior. <laughs> I always think about it. The moment we say, I do. I need him. He's mine. You know what the father does? He seals you with that Holy Spirit of promise and you don't lose nothing. Now Paul says, you got that? Now let's go live as who you are. Let's live consistent with who you are in Christ. Everything God the Father has given to us is in His Son. All of it. And it's a gift. By the way, grace is a free gift principle. I, I think you understand that. Ephesians 1 there, verse 3, He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places where? In Christ Jesus. You go over there, you're in Romans 6, you turn to Romans 8. Just give you one of the verses here, Romans 8, verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered up, delivered him up for us, how, all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You see, he didn't save us on the basis of our activity. 
He saves us on the basis of the son's work, the son's activity, the son's movement and doing, and the son accomplishing. So then what I understand is now I can go now and I can live as he lives in me. By the way, Romans 6, you learn you're dead to sin but alive to God the Father. Romans 7, you learn you're dead to the law but alive to God the Son. Romans 8, you find out that you're dead to the flesh and you're alive to God the Holy Spirit. And you begin to learn this three impact, this three walk here through you. Come over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. You see, folks, when we talk about what is this thing called grace, we're talking about an identity here. We're talking about much more than just being justified. That's wonderful. But God saved us over here. To, he's got something he's want to do with us. So I'm going to get out of that old life. I'm going to come over here and live in this new life. And I'm going to come over here and I'm going to live as who I am in Christ. And I'm going to play by the right rules, not the law, but grace. Those are the right rules of the game. And then I'm going to come over here and I'm going to say, you know what? I'm dead to this monster. And even though he raises his ugly head and he does this and that, I'm still dead to that guy and he doesn't have control over me. Because my relationship to sin is death. My relationship to the law is death. My relationship to the flesh is death. And so guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to live, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. I'm going to go live for him. Why? Because I'm dead to that mess, and I'm going to come over here and live as who I am in Christ. I said it last hour, I'll probably butcher the statement, and that is the issue is, is that we have the privilege of putting on display the culture of heaven in the ghetto of humanity. That's where we are. That's our job. That's our ambassadorship. That's what we're doing. And how can you do that if you go out there and you look like the stinking world? If you look like the ghetto of humanity, that's why he calls us a peculiar people. You're an oddball. You're a weirdo. You don't have a third eye or any of that. But why? Because you have a life given to you that the world just does not get, understand, grasp. 2 Thessalonians 2. Look, if you will, at verse 13. I want you to catch something here. Now, 2 Thessalonians 2, we're not looking at the context. I just want you to catch verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and the belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel. Now, catch what's happening here, okay? The context here starts back up there in verse 2. It's all antichrist. It's all wrath, it's all tribulation, it's all 70th week of Daniel, it's all of this stuff that people have said the body's going to go through, Paul's setting it straight. And then he says, because God had chosen, notice, from the beginning, the beginning of what? Well, verse 14 says, he called you by my gospel. So it's the beginning of the dispensation of grace. It's the beginning of Paul and, his, and the revelation given to Paul and the, the beginning of the, the, the church, the body of Christ. But then he says, chosen you to salvation. What salvation? Well, in the context, it's salvation from the wrath to come. This isn't salvation to eternal life. He didn't choose you. He chose you to not go through the 70th week of Daniel. He chose you not to go through the wrath to come. 
Okay? By the way, verse 14, how did he call you? Hello? Anybody home? He called you by what? By my gospel. What did you have to hear to get in? The gospel. See? So what do we have here? We have some salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and the belief in truth. So salvation. Salvation is one of those wonderful words in Scripture that you have to be very careful with. Because salvation has three parts to it, and the context is going to tell you the parts that you need to pay attention to. You remember Titus? We were just there. Look, you just go over there real quick back there. Titus 2. Because what you have in the phases of salvation, what you have in the phases of that terminology that Paul uses, by the way, salvation just simply means to be rescued from hurt or harm or danger, a whole list of stuff, okay? It does, but what happens is, is there's a past salvation, there is a present salvation, and then there is a future salvation. Look at verse 11, 211. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. There's our past salvation. There's that initial salvation. There's the justification. There's the, there is the dealing with the penalty of sin. There's our faith in the shed blood and the finished work of Calvary. Past, it's done. Never to be repeated. Never, you don't need to go, you, any, it's done. Then verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live. So now we are in present salvation, present moment. Here's the, the issue of, of sanctification. Here's the issue of having some power over sin. Here's our walk. First, we have our faith and, 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 and the penalty of sin is dealt with. Here's our walk and the power of sin is put under control and it's dealt with. Then verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify in himself a peculiar people zealous of good work. There's our future salvation, our future glorification the ultimate glorification, and there's our new bodies. And literally what happens now is we, we are removed from the presence of sin. So in the three phases of salvation, what do I have? I've got the penalty of sin dealt with, I've got the power of sin in my life dealt with, and I've got the presence of sin completely removed from me, all because of who I am in Christ. And I'm to go live in those arenas in my life the initial is done you don't have to repeat that ever again but man that present situation that's a struggle and this thing called grace what is this it has to do with all three of those by the way our initial salvation made available to us by God's grace our faith in the finished cross work of Christ so then by grace what did God by the way Grace, G-R-A-C-E, that, that past salvation, God's riches at Christ's expense, right? Then we move to the present. God's riches at Christ's expense provides for the penalty of sin. That then enables us to move to the second tier, 
and where we're going to begin to progress through, through our walk in life and our walk as we, we're, 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 we are learning and we're growing in our freedom from the power of sin. And you know what G-R-A-C-E means now? Grace, rightly applied. I just had it. Cleanses everything. <laughs> Can't even read my own writing. Grace, rightly applied, cleanses everything. It deals with it. Then we come out to our wonderful future, our glorification, that ultimate salvation that gives, that delivers us from the presence of sin. And that G-R-A-C-E is that glorious revelation that accomplished Christ's exaltation. That's what this thing about grace is. Look at what he's done. And you then have the audacity to say, I'm just going to go do it my way. That causes a little ripple. That causes a piece of that issue over there in Ephesians where he says, grieve not the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit's got a job to do. And when you pitch that, I'm going to do it my way attitude, you just rippled right in his face. <laughs> now, again, you're not in danger of losing anything. It's just in danger of your walk. It all comes out of Romans 6, 7, and 8. We didn't even get into 8. Maybe we'll do it next week. But the issue there is just understanding this is who I am. I'm a dead man, but I'm also given a life in Christ Jesus that I can go and live. And you know what I can do? I can come over there and I don't have to walk in my past. That's been taken care of. I have to live right here in the moment. And in the nasty now and now, what do I do? I get in here and I take grace rightly applied and that cleanses, cleans up everything for me, clarifies everything, opens it all up. And then I can go in then and I can do and live as who I am in Christ. Because one day out there, that, that wonderful, glorious revelation that is going to ultimately lead to the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm a part of that. I'm participating in that. And I get to walk and learn down here way before that ever happens, if the Lord tarries. One thing about being a soldier, I never was. I, I fell in between stuff. What do they do with you when you come out of boot camp? They give you a J-O-B, don't they? They give you a job. They train you. They, they do and then when the call comes, what are you? Hang on a minute, i got to go through boot camp again. No, what are you? You're ready to go. B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. That's where you're at. What you're, right now, you're in the boot camp. You're in the training grounds. Train it up, get it in there, because out over here, you know what they always say, the greatest laid plans are great until the first bullet flies, and then it all goes out the window. And that's literally, well, in our case, it's not going to really be that way because we know what the end is. What is this thing called grace? It's all of it. It's everything. It's the free gift. It's the lifestyle that we're to go and to live. And when the struggle comes in, you know what you got to do? Uh, we got a minute. Colossians, Colossians 2. I know it's 115 out. It's about 102 in here, feels like. Some of you are, are loving it. The rest of us have got the drips going down the back. So, 
Colossians 2. Look at verse 9. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. You know what you do when you're struggling? When things come up, things don't make sense, you're looking at it, you know what you better do? Stop. Yeah, call Rick. (laughs) You can call me. That's fine. I'll see who's calling and I'll go, eh, not today. No, I'm just kidding. I answer. You know what you do? Seriously? You say, wait. I'm complete in him. Now let's go figure out how to deal with this. Well, this falling out. Wait a minute. Wait, wait. I'm complete in him. Let's go follow, figure this out. When you're, you know why you're complete in him? Because you're complete in him. So you know what that tells you? That tells you that whatever the fallout is or the disappointment or this over here is, isn't him doing it to you or nailing you. I'm complete in him. You know what this is? That means I made a bad mistake. Something just happened. I couldn't control whatever. Let's figure that out. You see that thing in verse? And he, ye are complete in him. Boy, that's another one of those, what is this thing called grace? Wait, wait, wait. I'm complete in him. When life gets you going, folks, just take a breath. I know what they say. Count to 10. Blame mom or dad. No, don't. Count to 10 and say, wait a minute. I'm complete in him. I'm an adult in the family of God. I'm accountable for myself. And I need to start acting like who I am in Christ. Wait, wait, wait. I'm complete in him. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And Lord, I just pray for the folks here as we go day by day and think about these things and look into them, that we would do so with the heart of faith and a heart of understanding and a heart of love and gratitude for you, for everything that you've given to us, for that completeness, for the identity, for the total equipping, for the victory in life that you designed for us to have that you designed for us to have. Not what I think, what it ought to be, or what it should look like, but what you say it should look like. And we do all of that to your honor and to your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we'll be stand, we'll be dismissed with the song, and i got to stop the tape.